quaffers and libationists. Muddle a minty mixture of magic, consult the shadow of the monolith, and salute the fire orb at her nadir. Because it's time to talk tull to me. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. <laughs> Welcome back to Talk Tall to Me. I am Omen Said. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me in the same room! Unprecedented. Almost unprecedented. I think it's only happened once or twice. It's only happened once before. Or twice. So yeah, it's going to be a little different quality, a little, little rougher record here, but uh, please bear with us. We are doing a little experimentation. Omen is passing through upstate New York, and we will have an even more special one-room recording for you in a couple of weeks. We'll see how special it is. But right now, we are indeed here in the Feckless Momes Alpha Studio, or just outside of the Alpha Studio. Yeah, we're, we're in the beta we're studio. Outside the booth, yeah. We're at the corner store. <laughs> and here we are to um, talk tall to you. So, Nick, before we jump into today's song, do we have any business to report? I've got two things. First of all, we talked last week about the portative organ. Okay. Yeah. And I was listening to a live album, the 1977 Manchester, UK album, I believe it was. All right. Where at the end of the track for A New Day Yesterday, Ian has John play a little of the portative organ. And there is some preamble and, and jocularity in between. Yeah, no um, doubt. So I'm going to play that for you right now. Nice. Right. This is a difficult song we're going to play now. So some of you want to go to the bathroom or around the back or something. And, ah, uh, oh. we found these, uh, these ancient drums. In fact, some of them are actually of uh, medieval origin, including the tabor and the knacker. No, really, there is a, it might be pronounced naker, but we prefer to think of it as a knacker. And Barry will be playing his knackers in this song. Discreetly, of course, I'm sure you appreciate. Jesus Christ. Actually, the first time he showed up in this rig, you see, it's been an international tour, this one. We've just come down from Aberdeen. And I didn't believe he was going to actually wear this. I said to him, Barry, what are you going to wear underneath your kilt? It's nine months now. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, why don't you have a look? So I lifted up the front and had a quick look. And I must tell you, it was gruesome. And as I looked at it, it grew some more. So I said, what is it? What do you call that, Barry, this thing hanging down? He said, that's my caber. Well, you know what you do with cabers, don't you? I mean... <laughs> this is called Velvet Green and David Palmer, who has been uh, behind the group for many years <laughs> in a background capacity. Um, in fact, he's been my full-time gardener. But no, he was actually a lecturer in composition at Trinity College of Music in London and uh, finally saw the light. He needed the bread as well, but he will be playing the, the portative pipe organ, this small thing here. Hey, Dave, let's hear a little now, shall we? Ahem. Ahem. 
correction, it was Dee Palmer playing it, not John. That sound is pure endorphins. <laughs> it's, it's just so delightful. It's it's cotton candy, is what it is. Yeah, it is the magic of cotton candy. Straight into my blood. I uh, it's 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 wonderful. So that is our portative organ. Next up, I have a review. Another review. What? Sir, sensors have detected another star in the sky. Dear Lord, that's five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. From John Mac 66 They just won't stop. Via Apple Podcasts Great Britain. We're begging you, stop giving us these stars. <laughs> it is entitled, Really Don't Mind. <laughs> giving this unexpected gem of a podcast a tongue-fluttering five-star review. Oh. Who'd have thought that a pair of New York State millennials, their friendship forged in the fiery furnace of their mutual love of a band so beloved of boomers, would not only launch a podcast about said band, but commit to it so fully with such brio and wit. It warms a jaded Gen Xer's cockles. It really does. The uninformed speculation about British cultural... <laughs> The uninformed speculation about British cultural references and subsequent addenda, I hardly knew her, are especially enjoyable. Great work, boys. Hope you keep it up. Looking forward with bated breath to your thoughts on the Folk Trilogy. Well, we are toes deep into the Folk Trilogy at this point. Yes. Hope you enjoy it as we go along there, John Mack. And in all sincerity, thank you for the five-star review. We They really do make our day. They really do bring more attention to the podcast and ultimately mm -hmm. gain more precious listeners in this snowball rolling downhill that we've lost complete control of straight to tall hell trying so hard where we will melt so thank you so much yeah thank you so much john mack now i reckon it is time to discuss the song of the week it's ring out solstice bells otherwise known as Solstice Bells. Just Solstice Bells, yeah. A little, a fun little note about this before we dive in. Chrysalis, the record company that yes. Tull was under, they wanted a high-profile Christmas hit from the album, which everyone assumed Solstice Bells would be. But nobody liked it. <laughs> it entered the UK charts at number 28 and then dropped off completely the following week. Wow. Yeah. It is, among Tullites... A favorite Yuletide holiday song. Absolutely, yeah. It has been often called the Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas Is You of prog rock. Yeah, I think that is that's that is a, a common... That's what they call it. A common conception yeah. of this song. You hear it all the time at the prog rock mall. Yeah, it's a flute instead of that really high-pitched Mariah Carey exactly. sound. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I exactly. get it. I get it. Oh my God, I want to hear them cover that song now. You want to hear Mariah Carey cover Solstice Bells? And then Tull cover All I Want for Christmas is You. <laughs> Just imagine the flute. It would work perfectly. It'd be great. Yeah. It'd be great. <laughs> so um, without much further ado, shall we have a listen to Solstice Bells? Let us ring it out. Well, there we have Solstice Bells, Nick. How do you feel? I, this album more than any, I am so anticipating the next song because I know exactly the notes and the sounds from the next song. Yeah. That it feels slightly unfinished until I hear the end of the, the album. 
Yes. So I'm, I'm left anticipating. But this song is, it's got a, a nice darkness to it, but it's also celebratory. It's, yeah. it's, uh, I, I, I mean, part of this album, I, I really enjoy this song. It's hard to not like this song. Yeah. As someone who already loves Jethro Tull, I, at least, you know, for the general population, I don't know. But I feel like it's got, uh, it's uplifting. Although, now that I think about it, it is the most, of all the songs on the album, it is the one that, that least fits. Do you think that that is because they were trying to um, achieve a directive that was being put on them from the outside rather than following their own pure artistic innovation? I do think so, yeah. Yeah, I think, didn't we, we heard that with, what was that one song that was on Aqualung that... that Living in the Past. Was it Living in the Past? That was the one that was supposed to be the big hit. Yeah. So yeah, it sort of falls into the same category as Living in the Past in the uh -huh. sense that it was designed with a very specific commercial intent in mind. And that, I feel, is a little a little bit anathema to, to what Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull are all about. Right. Ian's... Ian's prime directive is is not to to be commercially successful. Correct. It is to follow the impulses of his of his cold fluty heart. That's right. That being said, still a good song. It's fantastic. And you know, let's let's think about this as a Christmas song. If we think about the the canon of Christmas music that is out there, and compare this and set this amongst that collection, what are some of the things that that overlap where we can recognize, oh yeah, this canonically, or you know, this classically falls into what we think of when we think of a Christmas song? The bells. I mean, that's the biggest. The bells. Yeah, the bells. The... And it's funny when you, you know when you see the uh, the video of them performing this song that we looked up on, on YouTube oh, shortly so before good. recording. With all of its strange 1970s kaleidoscopic overlapping editing mm -hmm. and weird camera angles, you see that they have a full orchestral bell yeah. setup, which must have been, I mean, I don't know how much they played this song on tour, but that must be an absolute beast to set up and break down. Because it's, if you're not familiar with it, it looks like 17 giant hanging pipes yes. that you whack with a mallet. Yeah, and they each have to hang independently so that they can so that they can reverberate. But they have a wonderful effect, and you do hear those in a lot of other Christmas songs. What else do we have? I mean, content-wise, a mention of mistletoe tops. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because it's about the solstice. It's not about Christmas. No, but Christmas isn't really about Christmas in a lot of songs. Well, yeah, I suppose it's about the it's about the the spirit. You know, the it's about the vibe. Yeah, as they say. But this is more more about the ceremony, the process that is the holiday, as opposed to, oh, all I want for Christmas is you, I love you, look at the snow. That's true, that's true. So, right, so it has, along with the other content, I, I think that the, the standout typical Christmas song mentions are the mistletoe. Uh-huh. The bells. The bells, right. Winter. We have one mention of winter. And the druids. Classic Christmas content. Yeah, I was going to say, name a name a druid, a, a Christmas song with a druid in it. I'm thinking. A, it's a druidic Christmas for you <laughs> and me. 
Yes. So yeah. this is, I mean, it's so funny because it's it's similar to living in the past in, you know, that we talked about some months ago or years ago. Years at this point. Where Terry Ellis said, all right, Ian, time to write a hit. And he said, I'm going to write something in 5-4 time that no one can dance to. There's your hit. He writes it in an hour in his room at the Hilton in Boston, Massachusetts. And it was a hit. Yeah. And this is similar in the sense that, you know, Terry Ellis said, Ian, we want a Christmas hit. He said, I don't know, put so many druids in it, you won't even be able to listen to it without drinking mead. And so it's obviously influenced heavily by the research that he was doing at the time and, you know, what right. he was being influenced in terms of British tradition. And from what I understand, it did become sort of a holiday cult hit. That it, and it sure. does occasionally still get radio play in England. Does it really? I have heard that. You've you've heard it played in England, or no? I've heard... heard I've read that I that it can be heard played <laughs> in England around Christmas. That was circuitous, but I believe it. I Thank totally you. I totally believe it, and it fits in with the flavor and the feeling of the album proper. So I mean, whether it was a commercial success or not, which it wasn't, uh, <laughs> that it, it still it still works. It still works as a a successful song as part of the album. And the album was a commercial success, more so than, that's true. than any of the handful of preceding albums. Yeah, that's very true, yeah. Shall we, just full disclosure, we're both very distracted by the fact that we're in the same space. It's so difficult. We'll not stop touching my thigh. <laughs> but shall we talk a little bit about the music of this song? We've yes. talked a bit about the bells. Yeah, bells. Uh, collapse. Now it's a song that's not Oh my god. The claps. So much clap. <laughs> the clap. That's, That's what it sounds like. That is that is what a clap is, uh, in case anyone was confused. It's the double clap. And we hear that used, there was a previous track that we talked about, the the classic double, the prog double double clap. Was it Jack and the Green? It was It was another one. I think it was, it's, yeah. It's really prominent in this album, but we've heard a smattering of it leading up to this point, too. Yeah. I don't know why I love it so much. It just seems... I think from a modern perspective, it seems really silly in a way to me. It does. Especially it, because it's not like, it's just like two quick claps in a it, row. It feels, it almost feels like it's the clap setting on a synth. Exactly. There's, the timing is yes. so perfect. It's it's the exact same thing every single time that it's got to be just John going with his, it might with his be. keyboard. Yeah, or it might have been, maybe they did record actual claps and then edited, the, edited them in post. And then maybe they had a way of playing that sound live, or maybe they just clapped live and got really good at it. Yeah. But there's something very funny about it. Yeah, it does yeah. have that kind of, for our generation, it comes off as that kind of Casio keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> look, mom, look what right, I can do. Yeah. It's funny to say, but it it has an unnatural feel to it, even though, like, I mean, that is the most natural music right. you can make, is, right. is, is clapping along to a tune. Right. And yet, it is joyful. It is very joyful. I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that it's so... We're, we're just not accustomed to it. But it has yeah. that feeling of a live performance that people are getting into it. People are clapping along. There are moments, this allows the audience who knows the song the opportunity to clap at these moments. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it gives that kind of participation aspect to it. If you have excellent timing and haven't had a drink in 12 years, otherwise you'll miss it. Prog clapping, yeah. Prog clapping. Yeah. <laughs> years of preparation for this moment. <laughs> the flute is also really exciting, especially the way it kind of launches the song off. 
It's a, our good intro there. Yeah. What? It's a good intro. Oh, it's yes, a, it, it is a good <laughs> intro. <laughs> it leads into the song. Very good. Like we're used to hearing Ian, but there's, I don't know if it's a different mic or, or a filter. Like it sounds a little tinny. Um, yeah, maybe it's got like a tiny bit of reverb on it or something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think that's something that I've always noticed is that it sounded, it sounds like it's, maybe it's a different flute altogether. I don't know. I know it's not like a penny whistle or anything, but. But it does have, it is adjusted to, to at least in the recording that we have, it does have a little bit more of that whistle sound to it. Yeah, okay. Which maybe that is in an effort to, maybe it's to activate some of that, that feeling of folkiness, you know, that, that kind of. Almost like you're you're going caroling and someone's brought along the penny oh, whistle. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe there are there are these conscious decisions made throughout this song to have specific sounds that make it more personal, personable, celebratory, and not have that barrier of like, oh, you're listening to a song through your speakers. Right, it's possible. Right, right. The whole thing, the whole song has a lot of warmth to it. It really does. It starts out quick. Carries all the way through. It's it's super celebratory. It's it's past the the mulled wine along and and sing along to this song. And John Glasscock is bumping oh, so hard gosh. on that bass the, right from the top. The bass is is so prominent in this song. It's so nice to hear. He's rocking the hell out of it. Of all the the rock sounds that are left out of this song yeah. or or kind of pulled back. That is not an, a, a sound image that I see when I see like people caroling or mummers or something like that, but it's it's there and it's it drives through the song. So it, it does have a little mm. bit of a reminder of like, hey, we are still a rock band. I also think that the bass in this case gives it that depth of quality, which for me, feels like, you know, it's not a surface-level Christmas song. It's like, yes, we're celebrating this happy Yuletide season, and thus we have done for thousands of years. <laughs> uh, and it goes back to all the pagan druidic traditions that Ian has really found a lot of inspiration in yeah. in this album. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. So there's one more thing that I want to point out musically about this song. Before we move into discussing the lyrics. Okay. And that is time signature. Yes. What is it? What? What is time signature? Time, oh, what, time. Is, what is time? <laughs> oh, my God. So time signature is the way that you break down music into beats. Right. Both as a way of communicating it to other people, but it also gives a... Sense of rhythm, like a waltz, is in three, four, one, two, three, yeah. one, two, three, one, two, three, and it gives that sense of lilt. Most music that we listen to, especially popular music, is in four, four, one, two, three, four. Mm -hmm. I came in like a wrecking ball. I never hit so hard before. I came in like a wrecking ball. I never. Came in like a solstice bell. I came in like a solstice bell. Clang. <laughs> this song 
as is to be expected from the Prague Rocksters and especially Jethro Tull, switches mm. back and forth between 4-4 four, four and 7-8. What now? And I was first clued into this as I was listening to this song while driving around Manhattan in my Fiat Abart. And I was trying to figure out the time signatures of all the songs on the album. I just want to be clear, this podcast is not sponsored by Fiat at all. Oh, it should be. However, if you want to, Fiat. If you are a representative Mm -hmm. from either Fiat or its parent company or the Abart company, Please contact us. Moms at fecklessmoms.com. We, we are, will accept euros. We are open to sponsorship. I will accept a new turbo for when mine blows. And where was I? Oh, yes. So I was listening to the song and uh, I was trying to figure out the time signature and I couldn't. And then I was listening to the lyrics and there's all these repeated mentions of seven. Seven druids. Yeah. Seven. Seven maids. Seven maids. Yep. Seven planet sisters, etc. That was uh, seven maids move in seven times. Well, there it is. And yeah. so I was like, oh, maybe Ian just gave me the answer. And so I, as I was counting it out, I realized that the, the verses are actually in seven, seven, eight. The verses, like the singing parts are seven, eight. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, 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 two, three, four, five. You are gonna be so embarrassed when a musician writes in and says you are so wrong. No, I think it is. I I I I feel strongly. I would not bet, you know, money on it. But I feel strongly about it. <laughs> All right. Okay. So where's the 4-4 four, four come in then? Ring out Solstice Bells. Oh, the choruses. But Yes. But then okay. there's a, I mean, how they transition between those two time signatures is a mystery to me. Yeah. I mean, it's a prog mystery is what it is. It's a progstery. Progs. It's a mystery as old as the standing stones themselves. So, Nick, let's talk about the lyrics. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about the lyrics. For review, I think we've talked about this before, what is the solstice? The solstice, we have a summer and a winter solstice. Or as they say in Italian, the solstice. Do, do they? No. Or is that, yeah, okay. <laughs> it is the point when the the sun is at its highest and lowest in the sky, meaning we have the most amount of sunlight or the least amount of sunlight, depending on the season. Right. So we have a winter solstice and a summer solstice. Mm -hmm. Not to be confused with the equinox, which in the autumn and the spring, equinox means equal night. So the day and night are the equal amount of hours. And all of this is because the earth has a tilted axis. Send it back. It's broken. They we we got ripped off on that one. The warranty is long out of wow. date. It expired like <laughs> long time right ago. before the <laughs> asteroid wiped out the dinosaurs. So right, and in traditional cultures, who you know before the invention of Instagram and before that electricity, were more connected to the seasons and the stars and you know natural processes yeah. than we are today. And people who rose with the sun and went to bed with the sun setting, so they were much better in tuned with lengths of time of light and darkness. And they had a very clear understanding that the sun allowed them to grow food. Right. And yeah. darkness meant that they couldn't. And there was a real fear for survival when it got dark. Predators came out in the dark. Cold yeah. came out in the dark. Yeah. Cakemen. The cakemen came out in the dark. Slender Man. Yeah. 
The slender cake man. <laughs> the crepe man, that's it. Never <laughs> trust a slender cake man. That's what they say. Right. So the solstice was, and a lot of the ancient religions were organized around tracking when the sun would start to return. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these traditions are about bringing back the light. There was an ancient Celtic tradition or belief that the sun actually stayed in one, like it got stuck for 12 days. Mm. Because, they, you know, some of these places are so far north that you could be forgiven for assuming that it was stuck because it looked like it wasn't, you know, it looked like it was rising and setting in the same spot. So they would design all these fabulous structures to coincide with the precise moment when yeah. it would start to rise. So that's what a lot of the standing stones... Yeah, Stonehenge. Yeah. Stonehenge, I think, is some one of the stones is specifically associated with the summer solstice and they have a big festival there. Yeah. Yeah, it, do yourself a favor and look up the calendric setting that is Stonehenge and you can see diagrams of where the sun will be when it passes certain rocks and right. you can see it through certain arches at certain times. The fact that that all lined up is just mind-boggling to me. Yeah, I mean, so cool. It's yeah, it, it is really incredible and you know, there are plenty of mysteries that we still don't have an unraveled about a lot of the standing stones. Sure. Or the monoliths, or the megaliths, or the henges, or the hinges. I hinge, the complex technology, I'll tell you that. Yes. <laughs> but the door still opens. <laughs> Little WD-40 every thousand years. God, I love that. But um, a lot of the traditions that we still celebrate go back to the impulse to keep the light alive. Even trimming our tree with Christmas lights yeah. goes back to the idea of keeping a fire burning during this dark two-week period, and especially the night of the solstice, to literally keep the light alive and to give right. it back to the world. And so that's where we get the tradition of the Yule log. You know, originally it was a log that you would soak in a mixture of water and oil so that it would burn slowly for a period of 14 days. Wow, yeah. That is the true basis of a lot of religion and tradition is it was a practical thing that then got mystified and got kind of fancied up as the process was passed down from generation to generation. Ultimately, when the, the night is its longest, you don't want to lose that fire because you don't know if you're going to be able to start it again. You'll freeze to death in the darkness. Someone has to make sure that that fire keeps rolling. Years and generations go on, it is dedicated to a god or or specific yeah traditions. exactly and there, there are plenty of celtic and egyptian gods whose whose rebirth is around that time mm -hmm. and even though biblical tradition and you know christian tradition firmly places the birth of christ sometime in february yeah right it's celebrated not coincidentally just after the solstice, because right. symbolically in Christianity, it is the returning of the light to the world. Right. Yeah. Fun stuff. So, and, you know, I think there's something interesting with this song. You know, if you if you contrast this song, which is ultimately sort of spiritual content. Sure. To, right. to some of Ian's musical critiques of the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. this Feels joyful and genuine. Yes. And this is one of the few Tull songs that isn't, you know, completely suffused with the bitter tea of critique. Yeah, there is, no pun intended, there is a lightness to this song 
that we definitely don't get in a Christmas song. Right. So then if we look at the lyrics, the mention of mistletoe mm-hmm. is is very much associated with that because mistletoe is green even in the darkest period of the year and its fruits mm-hmm. are... It's one of the only plants that has fruits at that time of year. Sure. Deadly poisonous. Don't eat them. Don't eat them. But the ancient druids would give this plant as a ceremonial gift and use it in their ceremonies. Yep. And it grows on the oak, hence the mention of the oak. It's a vine. Is it a climbing vine? Is that what it is? It is a parasite. Parasitic vine? It, yeah. It's uh, not really a vine. It's a parasitic. It's, it's like a parasitic um, bush. It just grows literally oh. on the tree. Oh, wow. It doesn't have any roots that grow to the ground. That's cool. Part of the reason that the druids believed it to be so sacred was because it seems to grow out of thin air. It's, in fact, mm. sapping the life out of the oak tree. <laughs> Equally cool. Yeah. Scientifically cool as Sci- opposed to... Spiritually Theologically cool, cool yeah. Right. <laughs> What about, Nick, the seven druids dance in seven time and the seven maids move in seven time? What do we make of all these sevens? Seven maids move in seven time. Seven druids dance in seven time. Seven has, for the longest time, been a magical number. Druids, 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 druids. <laughs> for the longest time. It's been a long time since we've dropped in random song clips, but that's that's two today. Yeah, it's been a magical number. I mean, it's been attributed to mysticism and science. There are six colors in a rainbow, but because seven is so significant, Isaac Newton added indigo. That's true. Not a real color. Right. That is just one example. There are... See, this is... mm, This is a tough one for me. I want to say that there are seven other planets other than Earth. So the seven maids... But Pluto was considered a planet back yes, then. Yes, but for a long time, we were not aware of the existence of Pluto. In 76? Well, but this is referring to okay. traditional times. Okay, sure. So sure. what you I'll have... I'll take it. So the seven... I think, there are, I think you're right. I believe there are seven heavenly bodies that you can see mm-hmm. with the naked eye. Mm-hmm. The undressed eye. Mm. Well, speaking of naked bodies, there's also the seven sisters, which is the, the Pleiades, which is a constellation. Are they naked? Are they naked? <laughs> I mean, well, all usually all all Greek art is is of nude women. Yeah, first that's because it was painted by Western perverts. It's William Adolphe Bougrou. <laughs> so my immediate thought hearing the seven maids was yes. thinking of the seven sisters who were the Pleiades. They were the seven daughters of Atlas and the sea nymph Pleiades. Right. right. Born on Mount Selene. Like a lot of the constellations, either they were killed and honored and brought up into the sky, or they needed to escape gods trying to do nasty things to them, so they were turned into to constellations. And the Pleiades in the Northern Hemisphere are prominently seen in the winter months. There it is. Yeah. Boom. 
there it is. So it's maybe it's that. Maybe they are dancing in the sky. I think that I, I'll buy that. Okay. I also think that you know there is a certain celebratory quality to all of the solstice and equinox celebrations. Sure. And in some of these ancient festivals, I would like to imagine that there was dancing, and so I will. Everyone pause and imagine dancing in an ancient festival. (laughs) 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 Write in on a postcard. Let us know what you imagined. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, while it doesn't have the same implications as May Day and the fertility rituals. Sure. There is this sense of seven maids move in seven time, have the lads up ready in a line, that Mm -hmm. things are sort of pairing up in a predestined way, that the planets are aligning with our own earthly existences and habits and desires, and that everything sort of becomes right with the world in this very organized way. Well, dancing practically also keeps you warm. Drinking at a celebration keeps you warm. I love that you're always thinking about the practicalities of it. That is one of the most fascinating things to me about tradition and religion is that it all has a purpose where it all came from yeah, yeah. that's true that's true yeah, the the seed mm. the seed yet to germ uh praise be to the distant sister sun again that that ties in with my thought of the celestial bodies the planets or the sisters joyful as the silver planets run seven maids move in seven time praise be to the distant sister sun Because those two lines are one right after the other, mm. joyful as the silver planets run, seven maids move in seven times. I am more and more inclined, as much as it pains me <laughs> to agree with you about this, I, I do think that it has to do with the the seven visible planets, which yeah. are oh gosh, Mercury, Mars, Mars, Venus, Venus, Saturn, Saturn, Uranus. My whatness? Your. Oh, uh, wait, so I, now I lost count. <laughs> Let's start again. Mercury. Mercury. Mars. Mars. Venus. Venus. Saturn. Saturn. Uranus. Uranus. Jupiter. Jupiter. Neptune. Neptune! Nailed it. Hey, look at that. I've never been able to name those before. Teamwork. Now you'll never have to again. I never will. Yeah. So there's a sense of all being right in the universe. Yeah, things are lining up as they... Whether you attribute it mystically or not, I mean, you can look at the sky the same time, the same night, every year, and it's going to look identical. So you can set clocks to that. You can set tradition to that. You can set myth and story to that. And that is going back to these standing stone constructions. There there are some fascinating... At Mayshaw Tomb in Orkney, Scotland... The last rays of the setting sun shine down a passage from the entrance to the inside wall and hit a particular mark at a particular time. Yeah, that's bonkers to me. Think how many tombs they had to build before they got that one right. (laughs) Okay, scrap it. Start over. One degree to the left. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's where you you put the, the crystal in the staff and you stick it in the ground and you wait for this time and it illuminates the tomb of some long-forgotten Scottish warlord who will grant you immortality. Yeah. Or it's a fancy clock. That's it, yeah. It's just they didn't have paper calendars, so they made them out of stone. 
Yeah. So again, I think, I mean, I feel like we're talking round in stone circles about this topic a little bit, but, but, you know, I also think that this is so in line and so beautifully distilled from everything that Ian was being inspired by. And yeah. the lyrics aren't super complicated. You know, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the simpler written songs. Sure. The verses are very short. They're only three Four. of them. Yep. And then the rest of it is ring out these bells. Ring out. Ring the solstice bells. So it's, despite the backlog of historical meaning behind what we were just discussing, what it boils down to is it's a holiday, a winter holiday celebration. And I feel like Ian may have gotten Terry to put down in writing that he wanted a winter holiday song. <laughs> right, right, right. Ian, we need a Christmas song. A winter holiday song, you say? Uh, I mean, just Christmas is a winter holiday. Right? Yuletide. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, I've got it. Yeah, and then he goes off and plunks away at the guitar and comes right. back, and uh, and Terry just shakes his head. But it's a great song. I yeah. think that this is going to be on my Yuletide playlist. It has to be for ever. Is it just this on repeat? Just this on repeat. <laughs> and then the and then the the Turlesburg Bell Choir. I'm I'm unfamiliar with that one. It doesn't exist. Okay, great. So along with that discussion of Ian shoehorning druids into what Terry might have imagined to be a traditional Christmas song. Yeah. It is worth mentioning that the late 70s were positively rolling in novelty Christmas songs. Yeah. So uh, I looked up the mm, most notable Christmas songs from 1976, and I will read you their titles. Yes, please. Lee Arnold... A Trucker's Christmas. He said, my home 20 is the North Pole. My handle's St. Nick. Okay, that sounds right. It was the big, I think, uh, Smokey and the Bandit and, and all those. No, it was the CB one. I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah, Smokey and the Bandit. Was it? Yeah. Okay. And um, uh, Convoy. That's the one I was thinking There was of, a big yeah. use of CB radios. Yeah. My parents had them. Yeah. I'm trying to remember their code names. I think... <gasps> My mom, someone was, was, uh, the goat. Your dad, that has to be your dad, right? I think it was my mom. <laughs> I will ask them. The goat and the muskrat? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. So that's a, that's a, a trucker themed CB radio themed Christmas uh -huh. song. Okay. Great. We have CB Santa Claus. Santa's down, you turn around, come back to CB Santa Claus. It is in the air at the top. Yeah. 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 Along with the pollution. Yep. Bionic Santa by Chris Hill. Ooh. The $6 million man was out that year. So that could be the inspiration to that. Yes. Also, Santa's a Bionic Man by Houston and his friends. That's Santa's Bionic. He's really great. So bizarre that there are two of each so far. Yep. Shadrach, the Black Reindeer. That a beautiful Black Reindeer, Shadrach. Okay. Uh, Loretta Lynn. Oh, wow. Seamus McCool wrote and released Santa's Little Helper, Dingo. <laughs> Santa's Little Helper, Dingo. 
Um, yep. About Dingo the Elf. Classic. Good. The Sal the Sal Sol Orchestra. There's someone who's knocking. There's someone who's knocking at my door. Squirrely Christmas by Shirley and Squirrely. Hey, Shirley. This is Squirrely. You want to sing a Christmas song? Sure, Squirrely. I'd love to. Yeah, me too. Don Van de Pitt, Christmas isn't Christmas. <laughs> Sort of a, a <laughs> Mobius strip little of a Christmas song there. <laughs> Inspired by Ian Anderson, clearly. Yeah. So that's uh, that's some of the other stuff. By that measure, Ian's song seems positively... Very jolly. Middle of the road. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, anything else to say about Solstice Bells? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that is... I think we dug more into it than it ultimately deserved, but that is that is what we do here. I think we dug further into it than Ian Anderson did. Yes. Yeah, the song as a whole, I don't think warrants that type of historical background. That being said, we are the feckless moms that talk tall to me. Mm. And what would we be doing if not that? I think that it is an elegant distillation of real historical impulses and traditions done up in, a, in an elegant and fluty bow. That is... That is a great fancy way of rewording what I just said. In a better In a better way. <laughs> you could write my cover letters for, for jobs from now on. And that was the final song off of side A. Was it um, really? Songs from the Wood, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know off the top of your head what is coming next? Mm. Think about think about the end of this song. Dim, 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 dim. Any Christmas song, really. Which is? Velvet Green, yes. the second kinkiest <laughs> song off the album. Is it? I've not looked at the lyrics on Velvet Green. Oh my goodness. Oh, this Nick. Is terribly exciting. I might be doing that one solo. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel comfortable being with you. I'll tell you about <laughs> it when you're older. <laughs> Until next week, the best solstice present you could get us is a five-star review. You don't need a Yule log to light the darkness. You need five stars. Who needs seven sisters? We only need five sisters. <laughs> you don't have to set fire to anything to impress us. We All we need is that fire emoji in your review. And that's it. Our hearts are on fire when you send us a review and a positive rating on your podcatcher. Also, our hearts burst into a towering inferno when you subscribe to our Patreon. That's right. Patreon.com forward slash talk tall to me. 
join our lovely other patrons there, please and thank you. You get access to the talk tall with me and the outtake tall to me at the $5 level. And you will be able to take part in discussions on what next for the feckless moms to do, what we can provide our sweet and lovely patrons. And you get the satisfaction of knowing that you... Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> No. So until next week, I, I, I am the parasitic plant known as Nick McGill. I am the dancing maiden that is Omen Said. We are the pair of standing stones waiting to be shone through that is Feckless Momes. And this is the cold, frigid celebration that is Talk Tall to Me. Nice. Oof. Uh, I got on this paper here. I'm supposed to deliver this 26-foot stone here to, um, Glastonbury Hill. <laughs> yes, right over here, please. Uh, I've, I've laid out the, the place in chalk, if you could stand it up there. Okay, I'm just gonna back it up here. Oh. Me, me, me. You might want to stand out of the way. I'm about to put my sliders on. All right, I, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get a hard hat. You're going to fix the, the lawn right there that you just tore up, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Hey, Jimmy, release the clamps! <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that, that made quite a dent. Um, it's not really as tall as it's supposed to be now. Could you... Could you fix that? Yeah, you know, uh, I'm just the delivery guys. I just, uh, you know, all I got on the paper here is dump and lump. And I'm about to lump. <laughs> a classic dump and lump, I, I guess. Sign here if you don't mind. I Wait. D- I do mind. What are you, what's that in, you ha- in your hand? Is that a little twig? Yes. It's, it's burnt on one end. I, I write in, in ash. <laughs> That's a funny signature there, mister. What's it say there? I, I don't have a name. I am part of an organization known as the Feckless Momes. Oh! I heard that Talk told me was a proud member of the Feckless Momes Audio Network! That's, that's true, yes. Yes, they are.